Somebody hold your bulletin up where you can read it. If you have one, if not, sneak off with somebody else. I want you to read this scripture with me out of Isaiah, the 26th chapter, the third verse. If we read it off of here, we'll know we're all reading the same translation and uh, it'll sound right. All right, let's begin. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I said that and then I messed it up. I was reading the translation that I already know in my mind. Nevertheless, it says that God is going to keep them in perfect peace whose trust is in Him. All whose thoughts are fixed on Him. And it goes on to say, because they love Him. I really want to dig into that a little bit today. And a message that we'll just call, Thinking of God. We don't ever really end, it's just, uh, we just pick up where we left off before. We've been talking about our thought life. Mainly how we see ourselves in God, trying to see ourselves as God sees us as born again believers with all the inheritance, with the same rights and privileges as Jesus Christ himself. Because that's the truth. But knowing it and believing it has everything to do with how it manifests in our life. How we walk in this life in victory or in defeat. The battle, the war is already won. Amen. Now most of the battle is right here between our ears. And the devil is powerless to work in your life. He comes only to steal, kill and destroy. John 10.10 He can't do any of those things in any area of your life. Unless you give him the authority. Now that can sound quite condemning. Especially for those who come up in a church environment that just says, Oh, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever happens, that's what God's will is. That's a lie from the devil, so let's just get rid of that right now. If that's the case, then what, what encouragement is there to the one who's in the crack house or... Sitting in the bar, you know. Oh well, it's what God had for me, I guess. You see how silly that is? I was asking my wife earlier. What's that machine at the eye doctor's office that they put you in front of? (laughs) We couldn't think of it, so I looked it up. When you go to the, the eye doctor, they give you the... How many of you have never been to an eye doctor? Okay. I was never been until just a few years ago, but now I've, I've been. And uh, this didn't happen until I started reading the Bible day and night for three and a half years solid. <laughs> and I almost made the mistake of blaming God one day. <laughs> but... But... but, but But it's not him, and he's going to restore this. Amen? I don't have to accept this, and I'm not. Nevertheless, they give you a a visual acuity test. 
a retinoscopy, a refraction test, a keratometry test, a peripheral vision field test, and an intraocular pressure measurement. That's all part of a basic eye exam. Now I sound really smart. I'm just reading that off the paper here. The two parts that I was talking about are that visual acuity test, the retinoscopy, and the refraction test. So when you imagine an eye appointment, do you picture yourself looking into a thick instrument with numerous lenses and dials? That machine is called a Foraptor. Probably said it wrong. Somebody will send me an email when they listen to this somewhere. And that optometrist uses it to conduct this, these tests, all these tests. And they allow for the, the doctor, you know how he goes, A or B? Is he looking for the lens that you see better out of, remember? A or B? B or C? C or B? You know, one or two? Two or one. And he goes through this whole process. Until he figures out the, the lens that is most helpful to get your vision back to 2020. Or whatever's the best. I don't even know if that's the best anymore. Anyway, what he's doing is as time goes by, sometimes you're... Or he may discover that you don't need prescription lens at all. You know, or may need it just for up close for reading, or may need it for both, or not one or the other. But as time goes by, our eyes can change and be affected by certain things, especially. I know if you, uh, my, my nephew that was here last week, he's a welder. I know you have to be very careful. The sun can do things that stress, you know, reading, watching television. You know, there are a lot of things that affect your vision. And over time, it can cause some problems with the way that you see, and then you might have to get something to correct that. Why am I talking about all this? Because it reminds me of kind of how people are in the way that we see things. You know, we were talking about how we see ourselves. I asked if you see yourselves through the lens of... Um, you know, the experience, all the things that have happened to you, and obviously that weighs a lot. Or if you, based on your, your relationships, you identify yourself by your job or by your spouse or by your friends, your organizations, you're part of this, how you identify yourself. The world causes us to see things through certain lenses due to our experience, what, due to what things we have seen through these eye gates and these ear gates, things we've heard, amen, and things that we felt on an emotional level and a physical level, right? You all with me? All right. And our thoughts are based on all of these things, aren't they? All that we've taken in, just like with a computer, they talk about, I'm not a big, man, I wish I knew more about computers, but I'm getting there. Garbage in, garbage out. Same with this brain. And so I talk a lot about Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you got your Bibles, look over there with me again. 
And I'll tell you what Paul is encouraging us to do after he had told us about all the good things, the wonderful things that God has done for us through Jesus Christ and provided for us through Jesus Christ. This eternal life, this salvation that we're not to ignore. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service, the King James says. Then verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern or know what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I think those things come in stages. But you can know it. You see that? I don't know what God wants. I don't know what God thinks. I don't know anything. You know, I hear people say things like that all the time. Well, if it says you can know it, then you can And God says, you know, Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases God. That means we certainly have it. We can find out. And if we can find out what pleases Him, then we can change our thinking to agree with Him and, and conform to those things, can't we? The Christian life is not about behavior modification. It's about surrendering the life and plans we thought we had for us and, and, try, and finding out what God's plan is for us. The plan He wrote for us before time began. And to enter into that plan. And it's a daily thing. That's why... It says here, become a, a living sacrifice in verse, verse 1 there. The problem with living sacrifices is that they continue to crawl down off the altar from time to time. And when you find yourselves doing that as a Christian, what do you do? You just crawl back up there. You're not going to have this thing down perfectly as long as you live. Just like the first time they, shot, they, they sent astronauts to the moon, they didn't go in a straight shot to the moon. They blasted them off in the direction they could, and based on all the mathematics and science they had at their disposal, which was less than what you have in your phone today, they did burns and course corrections every 10 minutes all the way to the moon. So they went to the moon like this. <laughs> but they got there eventually. And that's how it is with us and God and our eternal home that Jesus went to prepare for us. Amen? If you stick with Him, though, stay in contact with the command center. Because from time to time, it's going to be, Lord, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And you know what? He's, the, he's a good fixer. Amen? God wants to renew our minds according to... The new covenant. And this is where some Christians get off. For many Christians. And for all the world. You hear them say silly things. Well the Bible says this. The Bible says kill homosexuals. The Bible says this and that and the other. Well that's the old covenant. And there's a whole difference. In the old and the new. When you see a lot of terrible things happen to people for breaking God's law in the old covenant, and really not even, in, you didn't see that until the law began, which was only 1,500 years prior to Jesus coming 2,000 years ago. 
So for a very long time, people were not being judged by the Ten Commandments, which is all people seem to know about the Bible. The point is here, we need to know rightly how to divide the word. And the new covenant is one of grace and truth. Jesus paid a heavy price for us. In the old covenant, here's the difference. In the old covenant, no one could approach God without being destroyed. One priest, once a year, with a rope tied around his leg in case he had sin in his life, and then they'd drag him out of the Holy of Holies because no one could go in after him. Now, everyone in this room that belongs to Jesus Christ can run boldly right into the throne of grace, right into the throne room of our Father God in heaven, and cry out, Abba, Daddy, Son, you're interrupting an important meeting. But that's all right. Come on in. I love you. What's up? You've got to see it that way. But we have to change our thinking. If we change our thinking, we'll change our lives. This is really about... You hear a lot about meditation in the world. And some of it's very ungodly and demonic. can bring in things that you don't want into your life. But Christian meditation is simply thinking on the thoughts of God. Just like that scripture you just read with me, Isaiah 26.3, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. If we change our thinking, we'll change our life. And how do we think? We think in pictures, don't we? We do. Whether you know it or not, we think in pictures. When I talk about things, um, I'm looking at this picture here, this, this, this pier at a sunset going out over a beautiful lake and uh, the sky, God has painted a beautiful picture as he is so good at doing with his amazing sunset and a few ripples in the water there and I can see Tavana and I sitting there and any of those things that I've said have conjured up images in your mind, I know. And you didn't see any words that I said. You, you weren't typing that out as quickly as you could and reading it, were you? You saw pictures. And that's how we are programmed to see in pictures. There was a, there's a guy that I know. He's, he uh, called me yesterday on the phone. He, um, I, I know him through, through work. And he's, he's in his early 70s now. His wife died a couple of years ago, and he's been very lonely since then. He, he's uh, very good at his profession and has a lot of great people working for him and so forth. And so he, he's doing okay, but, but he, uh, when I met him, I realized some things about him. God shows me things about folks, and uh, it's only for me to pray for them and to try to help them if I can and find a window of opportunity. Anyway, I gave this man my book. And so when I spoke to him yesterday, he said, Well, I just want to tell you that you've changed my life. Ever since I met you, my life has changed. And uh, I said, Really? How is that? And uh, he said, Well, I've been reading your book and the things that you've said to me and the things that I've read in your book, and I'm still I'm reading it and reading it. And... Uh, he goes, uh, it's changed my life. He goes, I'm, I'm not angry anymore. I'm not, I'm not uh, just pissed off at the world. And uh, 
and lashing out and blaming and I'm not playing a victim anymore. And I see that I was always blessed. I just didn't know it. And I just want to tell you, uh, you know, I don't say things like this, but I'm just telling you it's the truth. When I say it's the truth, you've changed my life. And as quickly as I could, of course, I pointed him back to God. And he knew that. He wasn't saying it was me. It's the truth. There's only one truth, and we know his name, Jesus Christ. He said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And so it's a blessing to be able to point someone to the truth, and they meditate on it and begin to apply God's truths in their life to the point where it makes a big difference in their life. And it's not, it's not uncommon but it's not as common as it should be. And I'll tell you why. Because we are supposed to meditate on God's Word all the time. The fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last week from Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all fruit of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God which is within you once you belong to Jesus and that sin nature has been evicted and now your spirit has been renewed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, perfect, the mind of Christ, the kingdom of God is within you, one-third of your salvation is done. And now we're working on our soul, this personality, our mind and will and emotions. But that fruit of the Spirit, it's abiding in you. What does that mean? It's there all the time. Well, if you hear that and you're depressed, are you still a little bitter about things or... You've got some real issues going on and you know that all those things that I just listed are just not really characteristics of your temperament. Then you might think you're not saved. But you really are. If you went through the experience and you and you really had an encounter with God. I'm talking about the, you know, I, I tell people I was baptized twice and thought I was a Christian for many, many years and I wasn't. But you know when you have that encounter with God. But sometimes people are waiting for a, a physical feeling, a goosebump or a knowing or a, an encounter, a physical encounter of some kind. You cannot discern spiritual things with your natural senses. So how do you know what's in you and what you can draw upon only by this word? And by the help of the Holy Spirit, he will remind you of all the things the Lord has said. But first of all, how can he remind you of something if you haven't put it in there to start with? Amen. But that peace that everyone is looking for is already present in your born again spirit. And you can really draw on that. Paul said in Philippians 4, 8, look over there if you've got your Bible Circle it, underline it, bend the page, whatever you got to do. Philippians 4 8. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 4, 8. This is one of the scriptures that a woman of God who was married to a man of God and they were friends of ours and still are and were helping us when we were as close to being killed by the devil as you can probably get. And our thoughts were all mixed up. And she pointed this scripture out to Tavana, and she began to meditate on it, and it really changed her life. It says, finally, brothers, brethren, brothers and sisters, children of God, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what's that so important about that? First of all, all Scripture is God-breathed and given by inspiration of God. If God said it, if He gives us an instruction like that, telling us to think only on these good things, then that means we have the ability to do it. He would be unjust, and we know He's not, if he asks us to do anything that he hadn't provided the power to do it with. And that's something you need to know about God. He is not unjust. Matter of fact, he is so just that he holds himself accountable to this word. And he has spiritual laws and natural laws in place. And that's why you say, well, why, if God loves me, why isn't he fixing this? Why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing this? He's waiting for you to do your part because he's, he's already placed in, put into place and into your account all of the blessings, all of the spiritual blessings of God, of the kingdom of God is at your disposal. But you need to learn how to cooperate with God. Just like as, as a child, we, we have an 18-month-old grandbaby now. And she has her biggest trials at the outlet where my piano plugs in because she can't seem to keep her fingers away from it. And it gets worse every time she has this encounter because her mama is fed up with it. And she ain't playing no more because she knows that baby knows the right thing to do and she keeps doing the wrong thing. And so it gets a little louder, a little more violent every time. (laughs) Not that she's really whipping her or anything, but... You know what I'm saying. That's how you have to do with a kid. Anyway, it's one of those things. We had to learn the principles of electricity so we wouldn't stick our fingers in the socket. We know not to walk off of a five-story building. If we do, we don't turn around and say, God, what did you make me fall to the ground for? What did you step off for? I have that, that natural law in place For your benefit. So you won't fly off of the earth. Along with everyone else. He has spiritual laws that work the same way. Doesn't he? He teaches us about sowing and reaping. He teaches us. Jesus talks a lot about money. So that we know how to to give. To sow towards the things that we are believing God for. And he's taught us that we can do more with nine cents. Than we can with ten. The 90 is more with God than the 100. If we give him the first 
tenth, he's going to multiply that seed back to us in the same form. We're going to we're going to reap a harvest of the same thing that we've sown more than we've sown later than we've sown. There's seed, time and harvest. Amen. So that's just one of the laws and it applies to everything. You know, you want friends be friendly. <laughs> you know, if you sow uh, malice, if you're mean, don't be surprised if some bad things happen to you. We're going to reap what we sow. The good thing about being a Christian, though, because I've sown every kind of bad seed there is in the world. And once I came to God, it took a while, but... I learned that I could begin to believe for some crop failure. For the things that I had sown that were ungodly seed, I began to repent and to, to get with God and to make sure that my heart was changed regarding those things and to give them to Him. And He wiped them away. And now I have no harvest for some of that seed. Amen. And I began to... On the other hand, began to sow the proper seed in all directions. I know one time at, at Christmas, Tavana and I were really struggling. We really struggling. Trying to figure out. I mean, going from riches to rags, literally. I mean, not for clothing, probably, but every, in regard to everything else, we, were, we didn't have anything anymore. And at one time we had everything. And we had owned a car lot before we came to the Lord. It was just one of the many businesses we had. And we, the Lord gave, came to me in a dream in a familiar place. If you've read the book, you've probably read this. But in a park that I was very accustomed to with beautiful pine trees, I was there in my dream. And on the top of these beautiful pine trees, there, all of the pine trees which in the Bible are generally speaking of people, they were holding cars on the top of these trees up to the heavens. All these cars which up across the top of this forest. And I looked over to the park bench, which I was familiar with, and there was these two men sitting there, which I soon realized were angels. And I said, is that God? Because I didn't want to believe it. And then one of them goes... Yeah. And he turned back and started talking to his friend again. And when I woke up, I knew in my heart what God was telling me. Because we were trying to, we, we, could, we were barely getting around town. How's that? And I took, we took all of those. I drafted a beautiful letter about what had happened to Tavana and me with the Lord and how we had been brought into the kingdom of God and we experienced his love and forgiveness. And we... Signed away all the titles to these cars and we mailed them out with this letter to every, every person. And, uh, and we didn't even, no, we, we barely were driving anything. I was working on something every day to keep it going. How's that? And we mailed them all out. And these people whom at the address we had for everyone, we could never find anyone when we were looking for them, but none of the titles ever came back. <laughs> And we gave away all those cars. And now, several years later, we, we drive new cars all the time. And 
we give God all the glory, but I think I've broken the back of poverty in that regard, and I doubt that I will ever not have a great vehicle again in my life. And I think I just I attribute it to that. It, it works like that. It works like that with all things, as long as you learn how to sow with expectancy. Some people are so out of religion, out of a debt, they think they owe to God. Oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to pay. And oh, I don't want anything from God. He's done enough. That's very religious. And you may not ever get anything in return for that. <laughs> you need to sow in faith, knowing that God is your provider. And he's going to take care of you and everything you have is his anyway. So you're just showing by faith. I know I can do more with $9 than 10 And I'm not preaching the offering here. I don't, you notice I don't ever do that. I'm telling you for your own good. But everything in the kingdom of God, everything in your life is in seed form. Your time, your money, your love and affection, everything. And all of your resources. And God is watching you to see what sort of a steward you are of all of the grace and all of the gifts He's put in your life. That's why when I see these men up here using their talents for the kingdom of God, you know, this might not be as fun as the, as the uh, you know, playing at a, at a beach party on Sunday down in Galveston or something like that. But I guarantee you, it's going to pay better dividends. I guarantee you that. Where did I go? What happened? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I, I used to be one of these people, so I, I just feel like somebody maybe not here. <laughs> but somebody's saying, well, listen, man, don't worry about my thinking. You're lucky I don't know, you don't know what I'm thinking about you right now. <laughs> Once you stay out of my business, I'm not hurting anybody. There's the thing. That's what I used to say. Hey, don't worry about me. I ain't bothering nobody. You're bothering everybody. You're hurting everybody that loves you when you think like that. And there's a scripture in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7. And it says... Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's how good our God is. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? Now listen. I just told you, God wants us to see things through new covenant lenses of grace. Amen. That's from the Old Testament. But God has never changed. The protection that you enjoy is based on the things Jesus has done on your behalf. You can learn a lot about God, how he thinks and sees things and feels about things by reading the Old Covenant. And then don't ever forget before you stop to go, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've delivered me. From the wrath of God. But when we do things. That are not of God. And we're not trying to participate. In God's business. And think like God. And learn his ways. And to try to 
modify our lives around Him and build our lives on that strong foundation. It hurts everybody. It affects our children. And you see, it can affect their children's children. You can be freed from that because we all came with a lot of those uh, generational curses and things like that. But I can free you from those uh, in the name of Jesus anytime you ask. So don't worry about it. But the truth is, even science has proven this to be true. It's something called epipenetics. One of those sciences, I guess. But it shows that our, our dispositions and our habits and our anxieties, etc., can affect our children. And of course, we know that. We see, we see, it, we see things handed down from families that are sort of disposed to this certain type of a lifestyle. We see it in the children and the children. I know even myself, I grew up in a broken home and, and uh, you know, never knew my dad. And I said, that is something I will never make someone else experience. Well, it's the first thing I did after I became a grown man. <laughs> and I'm not laughing at it. I'm just saying it happens. It happens. Thank God that God finally got a hold of me and made the man out of me that he wanted me to be. But without him, I wasn't. And I was just sowing doom and discord and strife and hurt into others' lives, even if I didn't think I was. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, teaches us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power and love and a sound mind. So, remember when we're fearful, when we worry, when there's strife in our lives, and all these things, that's not from God. And the way, one of the first steps that I would ask you to take some of you are way beyond this. There's all, and there's always going to be in our midst, all sorts of children of God. And talking about these lenses, there are going to be some that are babies in Christ who are just opening their eyes and they don't see anything clearly yet. And then others that are, things are just beginning to come into focus. And then others that see better and more perfectly. And then others who've had their vision distorted over time and through bitterness and the pains and trials of the world. We've got all those amongst us and they're all welcome. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen? This is an ark where we can all come and, and be loved and protected and encouraged and challenged. Don't be offended when the Word of God <coughs> challenges you. If you're in a place where there are no challenges or convictions ever, then Maybe it's not the best place to be. There are lots of churches like that. And I love all of God's people. And believe me, I know how hard it is to try to always be thinking of God. How can I reach more? How can I affect people in a different way? So I'm not against anyone throwing out a large net and doing what they can. I'm not being critical. We love everyone. But if you're not being discipled, you're not growing in the word, you're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind to think 
in the way that God thinks according to his word and to be in agreement with him and to know the things that are of him and the things that are not of him because you know the word. That's where you need to be. Just like it says there in 2 Timothy 1.7. God did not give me a spirit of fear. Okay, that means it came from the other side. So when I'm fearful now, for the rest of my life, once I know that scripture, when I'm fearful, I'm not talking about, you know, responding to danger and things like that. That's built into us. But I'm talking about just meditating on fear and worry and anxiety. I know that's not of God. And now that I know it, I can begin to reject it. And replace it with the word of God, with the promises of God. Paul said it like this. Go, if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians quickly and then we're done. And I didn't get to the message that I had today. But that's okay. I never do. <laughs> 2 Corinthians, because I think this is a great point. If we don't leave with anything else, a takeaway except for this, we're going to be stronger and better for it. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians. It's that one before Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Anyone think that we could learn some things from how the Apostle Paul dealt with things? I mean, this guy is strong. Strong as horseradish. You think how confident Paul was in his relationship with Jesus? He went from being... You ever, you ever feel like a hypocrite because you're... You're a Christian now, and you, you know people that knew you then, <laughs> and things you did with these people and stuff like that, and you, and you just, it's hard sometimes. How about Paul? He wrote about third or half of the New Testament, and his job before that was just to kill Christians, just to have them locked up and destroy them. And then he ran into Jesus one day. And it changed everything. Just like it did with me. And I'm sure with you. And now, Paul says, this is how they deal with their thought life. Him and the other apostles is what he's talking about. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments... And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. How awesome is that? He has realized what we are talking about here today. As a matter of fact, he's one of the teachers from this book that God used to, to help us to understand this. But our thoughts are something we can control. This is where most Christians get off the bus. I can't help what I'm thinking. Yes, you can. Let me put a TV screen on your forehead. Exposing all your thoughts for the day. Send you out in public. You'll change. <laughs> You'll get them under control. 
Take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. What's he meaning? If I'm thinking on something and I catch myself meditating on it, and then I realize, hey, that doesn't line up with this. That is not God. Kick it out. Run it off. And replace it with something good from God. That's the devil. You can do it. I encourage you to practice it this week. Amen. And next week, I'm going to try to start where I'm stopping today. And we'll talk about Moses and Joshua. And I want to show you how this applies. And we'll keep on like that until until it's not just Pastor Will preaching it anymore. It's, it's revelation knowledge in your mind and in your heart. I want you to go and talk about these things with God. Everybody been practicing and trying to find that place where you can go meet with God? Talk to Him? I hope so. You're going to love it when you do. But you know, I have, I have cattle. And cows are, I love them, they're, but they're really kind of gross. They've got like several chambers in their stomach. And they eat the grass, you know, and they swallow it. And then from one field, and then they'll go, and they'll sit under a tree for a while, and they'll regurgitate that, that, that grass, and they'll chew it some more. They chew in the cud. Sorry, it's kind of gross. But that's, that's how we're supposed to do the Word of God. Meditate on it, to mull it over, to consider these things, you know? How many times as a kid did you come home from school? What did you learn today? I don't know. You didn't know because you had forgotten about it as soon as you heard it. And if you're not careful, you'll do the same thing with the truths of God. You need to make them your own. You know, I tell people, well, if I hear something from another preacher and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then I might hear it again or I go and I'll share it and I'll give them credit for it the first couple of times. But after that, it's mine because I have meditated on it. I have experienced that truth and talked about it with God. And now I understand it. It's become revelation knowledge in my life. It's part of me now. So I don't need to give anyone else credit for it. It all came from God. And now it's mine. It's quickened in my spirit. And that's what you need to do with the things of God. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to stop there. Not because I want to, but because your minds can only absorb as much as your seats can endure. (laughs) God bless you all. We love you. Father, thank you so much for this time together with your precious children. Thank you for these truths that you have imparted today. We ask, Lord, that you cause them to take root and bear fruit in their lives. Protect them from the enemy who will come immediately to try and steal this word from them. We will not allow that to happen. We command the enemy to stay away from the seed of your word and your precious children here today. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.